And what I would like to do to begin with is share with you just a couple of the things that, that we hold as important and what relevance these things have to the stories that we've been looking at through the Old Testament. And the first one is that of the second coming. Jesus is coming soon. And it's interesting that when we get to Matthew chapter 24, which talks all about the second coming, we find this interesting verse and it says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, to understand the second coming, what do we need to go back to? The story of, of Noah. Let's try another one. What about the teaching of that at the, before Jesus comes back, there will be a remnant people that God will give a special purpose? We find that in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And it says, And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war on the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus, Jesus Christ. This is a, a, an important verse for us. But it's interesting to realize that this verse is really, and in fact the whole chapter of 12 of Revelation, dealing with God's end time people, is really an expansion of and commentary of a promise given way back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, whereas I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. Here we see that in order to understand the teaching of God's end time people before Jesus returns, we need to look back to the story of Adam and Eve. Let's try another one. The three angels' messages, which is the mission of God's, God's remnant. I wonder if there's any sorts of relevance for the Old Testament stories with these. Let's have a look at Revelation 14, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come... But then what follows, which is at the very heart of the first of these three angels' messages, it says, And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. And if you're familiar with, this, with that phrase there, you'll realize that this is taken directly from something that God declared upon Mount Sinai, which is in the Ten Commandments, the Fourth Commandment. So, first angel's message, the story of Sinai. Let's go to the second angel's message. And another angel, a second followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Any ideas what story you might need to go back to for this, this one? The story of Babylon. Babylon in the Old Testament, as, as we're going to see when we continue on through the, the series, Babylon is the, the, the great enemy, the, the opposition of God's truth and of God's people. And here we see that the second angel's message draws directly from the story of Babylon and God's people, the Israelites, in exile in Babylon. Revelation 14, verse 9. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image, um, if you unpack this, you see that the third angel's message builds directly on another Old Testament story, that of the story of the fiery furnace. So can you see so far that that some of the teachings that we hold very dear to us, to understand them, we really need to go back to the Old Testament stories and understand those first to really create a bit of a foundation for um, the things that we hold dear as a church. A few other ones. Now, this is an interesting thing of the three angels' messages. One of the, the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Ellen White, had this to say about the third angel's message. She says, 
Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I've answered it is the third angel's message in verity. If justification by faith, righteousness by faith is so central to the three angels' messages, then what is, where do we go to in the Bible to look at understanding righteousness by faith? We go to the book of Romans, and it says, what then, shall, uh, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For as Abraham was justified by works, he is something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Throughout the New Testament, we see over and over again, when it's just describing justification by faith, righteousness by faith, we see Abraham, Abraham, Abraham. So to understand the three angels' messages, we need to understand, and righteousness by faith, the story of Abraham. And we could continue on. Christ's high priestly ministry is in the sanctuary. Armageddon is building on the stories of the plagues, and it's building on Babylon, and it's building on Mount Carmel. Victory in Christ. In Revelation 12, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, drawing from all the, the lamb sacrifices throughout the Old Testament. Destruction of the wicked, Sodom and Gomorrah, the new earth, the original creation, and finally the story of redemption, the whole grand story of salvation. When we th- read through the, old, um, through the Bible, it's, it's really built upon the story of the Exodus. And we see God takes hold of this this, this people who are in slavery, and he delivers them from slavery, and he takes them through the wilderness into the promised, the promised land, which is where we're getting to today. And that's what Jesus is doing with all of us on a much larger scale as well. All of us are slaves in, in sin and in our situations, and God doesn't want to leave us in slaves. God wants us to be free, and God is going on a, an exodus on a much, much grander, larger scale taking us not just to the promised land Canaan, but the heavenly promised land and the new earth. And so what we see here is that the story of the past prepares us for the story of the future. And that's why it is so important for us to have a good grasp of the biblical story right from Genesis right through to the end. And so we find ourselves, there's God's covenant people, and they have gone from um, from Egypt, they've gone out, they've had the, the, the Passover, they've gone through the Red Sea, they've been to Mount Sinai, they've heard God speak from Mount Sinai, they've, they've got the law, they've got the sanctuary, and now they're on the borders of Canaan. And while they're there, they're, 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 you can just imagine they're thinking about the prospects of having to get their swords out and go into um, take over the, the, the promised land in Canaan, But before they do so, some of the people come to Moses with an idea. And they say, Moses, I think we should send some spies out into the land. And God, uh, Moses takes this to God, and God also says, indicates this is a good idea. So Moses gets 12 chiefs, each one from one of the tribes of a different tribe of, of the Israelites, the 12 tribes. And he gets these 12 spies, and he sends them, as, as, as spies into their future promised hand to search out um, what the land is like. And as he does this, he, he instructs them to, to see whether the land is, the people are strong or are they weak? Are there a few of them or are there just many, many people? Is the land good? Is it bad? Are there just little camps? 
Or are they fortified strongholds that they're going to be coming up against? Is the land rich? Is it poor? And he says, when you go, bring back some of the fruit of the land. We want to have a bit of a, a, bit of a fore, foretaste of, of what we're getting ourselves into and, and what are the joys that God has in, in store for us. So the 12 tribes, they go out, of the 12, sorry, the 12 spies go out into the land and they're searching around and they're, and they're, they're spying out on the land. And meanwhile, the rest of Israel is waiting, anxiously, anxiously waiting, excited, maybe a little bit, a little bit nervous. What will be the report that the 12 spies bring back? If you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to Numbers chapter 13. And we're going to begin in verse 25. Numbers chapter 13, verse 25. And here we see the 12 spies coming back from the promised land to give the report of what they have discovered. So Numbers 13, verse 25 says, At the end of the, of the 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So here they come and everyone's just excited to see what's, what the report's going to be. And, and so they, they showed the fruit. And if you read just prior to that, you'll see that one of the things that they brought back was they brought back a bunch of grapes that was so large that it took two people to carry, and they carried it on a pole between those two people. Can you imagine what these people are think, what the Israelites are thinking when they see this? Remember, the Israelites have never experienced true freedom in their own land, at least these Israelites here. And they're just, their minds must be just racing about what the prospects, what, what lies ahead of them, the paradise that lies ahead of them in the promised land. The, the joys of living in this, this fertile land. They brought back pomegranates and, and um, figs. I remember when I was in Israel about three years ago, one of the things I saw everywhere was these pomegranates, and they, and they, and they, um, they juiced those pomegranates, and it was just beautiful, beautiful fruit juice. Um, and so here they are with all this fruit, and they're really, really excited. Then they go on to give some of the descriptions of the land. Verse 27, Numbers 13, verse 27 and 28. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Two observations. There's this there's basically two primary observations that they made when they, they came back. Firstly, the land is amazing. Amazing fruit. Amazing places to live. The land is very, very good. Second observation, the people there are very, very strong. And it says the descendants of Anak. Now, as we continue going through this chapter, um, the, the, we're going to, they're going to describe a little bit more about the descendants of Anak. And apparently, the descendants of Anak were basically a tribe of giants. So kind of think, if you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath, when David faced Goliath, there was Goliath, the Bible describes as being a bit over nine feet tall, and not just, a, just any tall person, but he would have been a built, tall warrior. And here they are facing 
going to the promised land, knowing, knowing that there is a tribe of people there, not just one Goliath, but a tribe of them. And the people are strong, the cities are strong. And so the land is very good, but the people are very, very strong. They will be facing the giants. And that's the, that's the title of, our, of my message today is Facing the Giants. Do you see grasshoppers or do you see bread? And I'm going to unpack that a little bit as we, as we go through. Now, all of us face giants in our lives. And our giants are different for each, each of us. For some people, the giants might be having to have a chocolate in front of you without looking at it or smelling it, or um, that might be a giant. For other people, it might be a relationship that's, that's challenging. It might be work that has certain issues that, or troubles at work. Your giant might be a temptation that you're struggling with, and you're just not quite sure how you're going to get through with it. Your giant might be a calling that, God is, that you think God is calling you to do, but it seems quite terrifying. Your, your giant might be an exam coming up. It might be a financial difficulty that you're, coming, you're up against. It might be a health issue that you're struggling with. Basically, anything that terrifies you, that seems bigger than you, that seems unpa- impassable, that seems unconquerable, these are the sort of things that we often come up against in our lives. And as we continue going through unpacking how the Israelites face their giants, I want us to be thinking about what are the giants in our lives? What are the big challenges that we have? And what lessons can we learn from the Israelites about how we should face those giants and how maybe we shouldn't face those giants? Now, one thing that I've learned is that often people can look at one situation and have a very different perspective of it. One example would be Cyclone Marsha. Do you remember Cyclone Marsha, which came through in February of this year? Big Category 5 cyclone came through um, Yapoon, Rockhampton, and there was big warnings going on that it was coming. And for the majority of people, Cyclone Marsha was, their perspective on it was, this is a big storm, we need to get ready, we need to get prepared, this could cause all sorts of damage, which it did. It caused almost a billion dollars of damage across Australia. So there was a large amount of people whose perspective of Cyclone Marsha was, fear, or this is a terrible thing, we need to get ourselves ready for this. However, that's not the way that everyone approached Cyclone Marsha. I grabbed a little um, excerpt from a news article about it, from the nine, you know, that Nine News had put up, and this is what it, what it said. It said, a number of Queensland surfers have shirked emergency warnings to find shelter and brave the massive swells brought on by trop- tropical cyclone Marsha as it hit the coast this morning. One surfer in Yapoon, the first town that Marsha would hit, grabbed his stick and headed to the beach to enjoy abnormal waves blown up by winds exceeding 200 kilometers per hour. Goes on to say, another local surfer, Rex McLennan, told the morning bulletin he got an insane rush from braving the ocean during storms and nothing beats cyclonic surf conditions. It's more fun when it's trying to kill you, he told the paper. So here we see the same situation. Big Category 5 cyclone coming, coming towards Australia. And one group of people, their perspective on, on it is, this is terrible, this is going to create great disaster, we need to run away from this. 
Whereas there's a whole other group of people that go, this is awesome. Let's get our, let's get our surfboards. And this is what it looks, this is, if you look there, there's a whole lot of people apparently in this area who have a very similar perspective of Cyclone Marsha. So one situation, two very different perspectives. And this is exactly what we see in this story that we're going through in Numbers chapter 13. We have the one situation. They're faced with a land that is very good, with very strong people in it, these giants in it, and what are they going to do? What is going to be their perspective on this situation, on this giant of a situation before them? The first one is found in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 31. Numbers chapter 13, verse 31. This is what the first group said, which turns out to be 10 of the 12 spies. This is their perspective. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seemed to them. What's the perspective they have on on this giant of a situation? Fear. It's overwhelming. It makes them want to turn away and run from it. That's perspective number one. Let me introduce you to perspective number two. And the two people is Joshua and Caleb, two of the 12 spies. This was their perspective on the identical situation. We jump down to chapter 14, verse 6 through to 9. It says, And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of um, Jephunneh, who was among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. They tore their clothes because they were horrified at the fact that everyone was listening to this bad report and people were starting to want to run away and hide from the giants that are before them. They tore their clothes. Verse 7, And said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, The land which we passed through to spy it out, it is exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the the Lord. And do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. What's the difference? Here we see Joshua and, and Caleb Instead of seeing it as an overwhelming task, a fearful task that they want to run away from, they see that the land is desirable. They see that, they see that it's achievable. And instead of running away from it, they're ready to, to run towards it. One, oh, and I love the, the contrast between these two verses here. In perspective one, it says in verse 33, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. Okay, just the situation is so big, it's so beyond us that we just seem like tiny little grasshoppers. But in contrast to this, Joshua and Caleb, they look out at the, the giants and say, they are bred to us. One sees grasshoppers, the other sees 
bread. It's going to be so easy. We can just devour these giants, devour this land. Very different perspectives. And what was it that made the difference between seeing grasshoppers and seeing bread? I'd like to suggest a number of different things that made a difference. And in particular, Joshua and Caleb, they were drawing upon four different things that helped them see bread instead of grasshoppers. And if you're writing things down, write, make sure you note down these, these, these four things that helped them to see bread instead of grasshoppers. And the first one is they took into account God's presence. Now, you can imagine that when they're going through there, they're, they're assessing, they're thinking, are we able to conquer these people? Are we able to conquer these giants? Are we able to actually take possession? And when they're, they're, they're doing their, their calculations, Joshua and Caleb took into account God's presence. Back in verse 30, so chapter 13, verse 30, Caleb says this, But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. When he says we are able to overcome it, included in that we is God. He doesn't see himself as being him and the other Israelites alone going to land, but he says we are able to overcome it. We, including the mighty God of the universe, is here. And we jump down to verse chapter 14, verse 9, we see the same sort of thing. Uh, 14, verse 9, Only do not rebel against the land, for they are bred to us, their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. So the first thing that made the difference is Caleb and Joshua were aware that they had God's presence with them. And is that the tr same for us as well today? Let me remind you of a promise in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. This is the mission that we've been given as a church. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We can be assured and we can trust in the fact that God is with us even to the very end. And so the first thing was Caleb and Joshua took into account God's presence with them. The next thing is they took into account God's power. Had they seen God's power on display? Up to this point, they had seen God's power on display in, a, in dramatic ways. And a New Testament verse that really sort of, a promise that sort of conveys the power that we have with Jesus is in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. Now the context is the rich young ruler, if you, you, may, you may be familiar with that story. Um, and at the end, Jesus is talking about um, the rich finding, it, people who have lots of, 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 of wealth, finding it difficult to find salvation. But he says at the end, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God... How much is possible? All things are possible. And that's the attitude that Caleb and Joshua went into the promised land with. God's presence was with them, and it wasn't just like having an extra soldier, but when they had God on their side, they could out outnumber the largest army possible. 
God, all things are possible when we have God on our side. One plus God is a majority. With God, when God is on our side, we have omnipotence on our side as well. God's presence, God's power. Number three, God's promises. If you go right back to the beginning of chapter 13, verse 1, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, for which I am giving to the people of Israel. Did you notice that? God said to them, Send these, these spies into the... Their job is not to determine whether or not God is going to give it to them, but God says, Look at the land which I am giving to you. Involved in, in that statement is a promise that God is promising to give them the land. And for Caleb and Joshua, it was simple. God had promised to give them the land, and therefore, His presence was with them, His power was with them, and He promised, so He's going to do it. And for us today, when we face our giants, we need to remember that the Bible is full of promises for us. The Bible is full of promises that that God is with us, that all things are possible through God. Um, just last night, as I was preparing, as, as I was looking at this sermon, I was thinking, what a big task it is to get up and preach in front of so many people. And I was thinking, wow, this, this is a bit of a giant task. I was reminded of a promise that is one that I always go to in, in situations where I need to get up and, and speak before people. It's one of my favorite Bible promises. Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 to 12. And here we have Moses, who's about to have to go and speak before Pharaoh. He says, But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And he's saying this because he's feeling overwhelmed by the giant of a task that he's got before him. Then the Lord said to him, Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. Isn't that a powerful promise that we can apply to our lives today as well? That's a promise that I cling to, and my, and my question for you is, what are the promises that you cling to? What are the promises that help you overcome the giants in your life? So Caleb and Joshua took into account God's presence, God's power, God's promises, and fourthly, they took into account God's past acts. This wasn't the first time they'd come up against a giant of a problem. This wasn't the first time they had come up against something that they felt helpless with, that it seemed unconquerable. The classic um, situation was when they were facing through the Red Sea, and the Red Sea's before them. The Israelite armies are, bef- are behind them. There's no solution to this problem in and of their own strength. And suddenly, Jesus shows up in the cloud of the pillar of fire, stands before them and the, and the, and the armies, and then the, the Red Sea is parted, and they cross, walk across on dry land, and God fights the battle for them. Could not that God who parted the Red Sea and fought that battle also help them to fight the battle of the promised land that lies before them, the, the promise of those giants? And so, Caleb and Joshua took into account God's past acts. The God who helped them in the past is able to help them in the present. And for us, we need to be aware of the way that God has helped us in the past. What are the answers to prayer that God has given us in our own lives? 
What are the situations when we've come up against giants in the past and God has miraculously helped us through? He's given us the strength to help us through, through those situations. And maybe if you don't feel like you have any situations like that, that's why we have the Bible. The Bible is full of people who came up against giant problems who God helped them through. And that's part of our history as well. That's part of our collective history as, as Christians is that God always comes through and helps us in a situation. So what made the difference? They took into account God's presence, God's power, God's promises, and God's past acts. But there is something else that's going on here. Maybe this is, and I think this is actually an even more significant thing than these four things that made the difference between one group of people seeing grasshoppers and the other group of people seeing bread. And I'm going to show you this by looking at the response of the Israelites when they heard the, the report given from the spies. So Numbers chapter 14 in verse 1, and we're going to read through to verse 5. Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. Let's look at how the Israelites respond to hearing about these giants and these fortified cities that they're about to enter, in, enter into. It says, 14 verse 1, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. What incredible times. We have Moses, we have Aaron, ready to lead the charge into the promised land, and suddenly people are so terrified by the giants that they're ready to choose a new leader and run back to slavery in Egypt. Here they are choosing Egypt over the promised land that God has in store for them. But there's, a, there's something in here that really shows what's, what's going on in the minds of the Israelites. And it really comes in chapter, in verse 3, which we just read, chapter 14, verse 3. And that is their perspective on the character of God. Let's look at the character of God that these Israelites have as we read through verse 3. It says, Why is the Lord bringing us into this land? To fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? Remember those four things. Here, do they recognize God's presence is there? God's presence is there. And remember, he was there in a pillar of fire. Do they recognize God's power? At least to some degree. They're, they're acknowledging that the Lord brought them into the land. Um, God's promises. Maybe, maybe they're a bit unsure about it. But these are the covenant people. They've been hearing these promises over and over and over again. What about God's past acts? Surely, even though if they're not having it at the forefront of their thinking, they haven't forgotten the things that God has done in the past. But what we see going on here is at a fundamental level, we see that the Israelites 
distrust the character of God. And even though God has led them out of Egypt, they're suggesting that God is leading them into a trap, that God wants them to be destroyed by the sword, that God wants their little ones to become prey. And in doing this, they're they're saying that God is a liar, He's against them, and ultimately God is not a God of love. Can you see the picture of God that they have there? That God would go through so much to bring bring them into the wilderness just for them to become destroyed. Now let's see this in contrast to what Joshua and Caleb say. In their speech, this is what they say. And notice what this is saying about the character of God in this, this verse here. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Here we see Joshua and Caleb, their picture of God is that God is a God who delights in them, who wants the best for them who's brought them in here not for them to be destroyed, but has brought them this far in order to give them success, to give them happiness, to give them peace, to give them freedom, to give them a a future. Here we see that they see that God is a God of love, and God is ultimately for them and not against them. Whereas the other people, they believed the worst about the land because they believed the worst about God. So the result from this, we see that the people continue, I'm just going to summarize the the rest of the story, the people continue to rebel. In fact, they go so so far to pick up stones and go to stone um, um, Joshua and Caleb because of their, um, their boldness in thinking that God can actually bring them into the promised land. And in the midst of this, we see that God shows up. And God shows up in a, in a powerful way. And, t- and tells Moses, this is it. I'm going to destroy these people, just like I've said I'm going to do. And Moses once again pleads with God. Moses intercedes on behalf of God, and God forgives them. And we see a continuation of God's mercy that's just been showing over and over and over again. And although God forgives them, He, he outlines to them that there's going to be some consequences of these actions And we're going to read through just a few verses because this is going to set us up for the next week's sermon. Numbers 14, verse 26 through to 31. So Numbers 14, verse 26. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall this wicked congregation grumble against me? I have heard the grumblings of the people of Israel, which they grumble against me. Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do. In other words, you said, we wish we went back, to Is- back into the wilderness. And God says, okay, we'll send you back into the wilderness. Verse, 28, uh, verse 29, your dead body shall fall in the wilderness and of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell except Caleb, the son of Joshua, of, of Jephunneh and Joshua, the son of Nun. But your little ones who you said would become prey, I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. Here we see Jesus outlining what's going to take place for the next 40 years. The Israelites are going to be turned around. They're going to back into the wilderness. And eventually, 
those who will actually go into the wilderness will be Joshua, Caleb, and those little ones that they said, God, are you bringing us in here so that our little ones will become prey? God is going to take those little vulnerable people, and with them, he's going to face the giants. So what do we learn about, what can we take home with us today from this story? Firstly, when we face giants, we can see either grasshoppers or bread. All of us are going to face giants in all sorts of areas. And I mentioned some of those things before that we might be facing them in relationships, in work, in maybe a temptation, maybe something God is calling us to, maybe an exam, a financial situation, a health challenge. We all face these giants. But what is our perspective going to be on these giants? Will we see them as something that's going to devour us? Or will we see something that we can devour with the help of God? A reminder of the five things that make the difference. Number one, God's presence. Let's remember that God is always with us. Number two, God's power. Let's remember that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Number three, let's remember that the Bible is filled with God's promises. That God is for us and not against us. And God is ultimately leading us into the heavenly promised land. Number four, God's past acts. Each of us have had experiences with God in the past, and the Bible is filled with past experiences and past acts of God in delivering people from giants. Let's draw from those and realize that the same God is able to help us with our promises this week and in the future. And finally, let's remember that God is actually a God of love. And if we don't realize this, all we need to do is look to the cross. And we look to the cross, we see a God who loves us so much that He would willing he would rather die upon the cross than to live without us. And we re- when we realize the un- inconceivable size of the love, the, the unfathomable, um, indescribable love that God has for us, we'll realize that when we face our giants, God actually wants us to find success, to find freedom, and ultimately to find salvation. Let's finish with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we just thank you for the stories of the past. And we pray that you'll help us to, to realize that, the, that in the way that you have worked in the past, you are still able to work in our lives today and in the future. Father, we pray that you'll give us the ability to have such good insight that we can see the giants before us in the same way that Joshua and Caleb did. To see them as something that can be like bread to us, Lord. Help us to remember your presence Help us to remember your power, your promises, your, your past acts, and ultimately help us to remember that you are a God of love. Reveal your love to us, Lord. Help us to filter everything through the love displayed upon the cross. And Lord, we pray that you'll give us victory through our giants this week. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.